Hello and welcome to our eighth installment of the Pro Player Diary. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, joined by who else? Our resident pro player around these parts. He is Sean Borman. Sean, what's going on? I'll just uh, sitting here looking at some, some Hong Kong replays, trying to prepare myself. Getting getting in the getting in the frame of mind. Now you told me you well, let's go back actually. So you you were having some hesitation after the last time we talked if you were gonna maybe take a little break, but it sounds like you did decide to go headlong into last Wednesday in, in Hong Kong. Am I am I describing that correctly? Uh, yeah, I played Wednesday. Um, realized that uh, just my brain is just pudding at this point, and I just need to take some time off because you know it, when you repeatedly come up with good horses at prices and repeatedly bet it incorrectly and repeatedly lose money it's not a it's not an information problem it's a betting problem and i i'm i've clearly shown i'm not going to bet my way out of this so i'm i'm just going to take like 2 weeks off the girls are on spring break this week um, and then we have my wife's college reunion the week after so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna come back in two weeks hopefully refreshed and try to close out the hong kong season on a good note how far how how long do they go when when does it wrap uh they go to mid a i'm sorry mid july so three more months gotcha did was there a specific instructive mistake on wednesday that made you like push you over the top in this direction yeah, there was a horse in the, the second race. Um, was it the second race? I'm looking at the IMTPs. I believe it was the second. Yes, the second race where I I found a good sort of price horse that was dirtied up. Um, decided to key it with a couple, you know, with one other horse that looked like he, you know, was just the best horse. He had the same same mistake I make all the damn time. Um, and, you know, my price horse runs second to another price horse that I s- sat there and stared at for 10 minutes thinking I need to double key that horse. But no, I took the chicken shit way out and double keyed it with the favorite. And the two prices run one, two, the favorite doesn't run. Sean loses again and decides it's just time to call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> for a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. You can't can't totally call it a day. Although after reading that Financial Times article that I'm sure we'll discuss briefly, it, it seems like it you know, maybe I should just call it a day. Well, that's not well let's let's talk about that actually. But uh one other question about the general pause. So you're still you mentioned you're still doing Hong Kong work even. You're just not gonna be you're just gonna keep your data up and, and you know, watch from afar. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm I'm gonna Trip, trip the races, do the figures, make sure I got my biases right. You know, everything, Just I'm doing everything but the wagering at this point. So the Financial Times article, and I want to talk about this on the show at some point, and I want to have a, like a full discussion about it. I know, you know, uh, Gary Fenton, who's been on the shows many times, has expressed some uh, concern with the framing of the article, and I would love to get something akin to a debate or discussion with um, either Craig Burnick or Pat Cummings from Thoroughbred Idea Foundation and uh, and and Gary, and and see if we can figure out where the where the potential discrepancies are here. But putting all the putting the specifics of that debate aside, what were your what were your takeaways from the article and, and, you know, frame it a little bit too, for people who might not have read it. So the article basically details how, how these groups operate. I mean, there's, you know, those of us that have sort of paid attention to this for, for a long time, there wasn't a ton of information in here that seemed new. Um, But there are some, there's some quotes that, you know, I think are important to go over that I'd actually like to discuss. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, some charts about how, how the wagering from, you know, they focus on two specific accounts at, at elite turf club. 
um, that that are just you know basically cannibalizing the rest of the rest of the players. And when you look at this article, sort of in combination with some of the stuff that Pat Cummins has put out about the the returns from retail accounts at TVG and and you know regular express bet and twin spires and all this stuff you can just see exactly what's going on in these pools and it's frankly disgusting in my opinion um you know the article talks about deals that these teams make with racetracks um that you know they're 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 playing they're being allowed to play a completely different game than we are being allowed to play in a lot of regards. And it's quite frankly going to kill the industry. You know, and if, and if the higher ups don't see that and the ones that are striking these deals don't understand that, then there's, there's no hope because once the, you know, once we're gone, there's nothing left but these teams, and they're not going to sit there and play against each other. Right. That, that doesn't it, make sense. That's a key point that I think somebody could look at the numbers and say, hey, look, <clears throat> we're still generating, you know, X amount of money for the track. So, so why is that a problem? Well, the problem is that it's just, it's not sustainable, you know, with no, you know, with no, for lack of a better word, you know, people such as yourself, the upper middle class of, of betters, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's still a huge difference between <clears throat> even at your biggest handle, what you were doing and what these guys are doing They're there. But there's when, when it's just them against themselves, there's no loyalty to the game. They'll be gone in an absolute heartbeat to go on to the next opportunity. And th- that's why, even if you can take certain snapshots of the market, and this is what I want to get into in the debate episode, because I think there's, other snapshots of the market that you take and it already looks horrible when you adjust for you adjust handle for inflation, for example. Um, but it's uh, it's 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 dangerous. It's dangerous. And what did it what what impression did it leave you? I mean, I assume it left with the impression as a player that you've made the right choice by not playing these games and and taking the Hong Kong approach that you, you've taken for the last several months. Well, yeah, and it, you know, so, so look, the, here's the, the first quote I wanted to go over was, was from David Bernson, who's a computer better, he's a manager of this GWG group who, you know, describes itself as a collective of CAW players. And he says, the larger ones are sophisticated operations like a stock trading team, end quote, which I'm sure is true. Then he goes on to say, all we're doing is balancing out the pool to make it more efficient. It's not unlike flash trading in the stock markets or the crypto markets. Also not technically false, but there's an enormous difference between flash trading and market making in the stock market and what's going on here. And that's the fact that there are actually regulations at the stock market, you know, and, and the flash traders in the stock market had to pay for the right to get the information a few nanoseconds faster than the general public. Whereas these guys pay much less to get the information than we do. So they get a information advantage. They get a pricing advantage. They get to get in the pool last. So they're not making a more efficient market. They're using our bets to make a market for themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. And quite frankly, you know, you can't do that legally in the stock market. Like as a market maker, you're not really allowed to take customer orders and trade on them in your own account. So there's a huge difference. Now, if they had to pay the same takeout we paid or were forced to get their liquidity in the pools earlier, then that's one thing. But when they can bet last, 
and get all these technological advantages it's it, it's it's you know criminal now i'm not but saying anyway, it's actually illegal but it's it's ridiculous it's it's not it doesn't create a healthy market ecosystem i mean well, no, certainly no not yeah no one could argue that i think the betting last thing is huge i mean what like it just it, that feels unethical to me if that's really happening now i don't have i mean i from seeing the markets, we, we let, let's be frank. We know it's happening. Anybody sharp knows that's happening. That somebody's, and I'm not necessarily saying they're getting time after the bell, but just the ability to be last. I mean, that's if that's not unfair, I, I don't know what is. Well, no, and he Bernson also goes on to say basically exactly what we're saying. You know, he says we're just using enormous amount of information. That's what we do in the paramutual business construct our wagers and use technology to submit a large number of wagers as late as possible. That's because we need the public's input. The best predictor of the wind pool is the general public, just wisdom of the crowds. So he's just admitting that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're using our information and our bets to construct their bets because they can get in the pool last and they are the only ones that are going to know what the final prices are. And another unfair advantage is then the ability to make all those bets so quickly. Like exactly. we can't we can't do that. For, for example, you know, I bet my US stuff when I was betting the US through Express Bet Select. And they have a batch wagering option that's available to anybody. And I can get three bets per second into the pools. So if you're playing a three thousand ticket pick six, you know, batch upload, it's going to take you 15 to 16 minutes to get those tickets in. Also, you can't make any other bets during that time. You have one sort of portal into the system. So like I'm shut out from making tries and supers and exactas if I wanted to play the first race of whatever sequence vertically, unless I'm batching them in as well. Those guys can get thousands of bets a second in. And there's no way in hell they can't make other bets while that's going on. <laughs> it's not good. So, like, how, you know, they get to play at hugely reduced takeout, get all these technological advantages that, you know, they claim they're market makers, but they're not paying for this. They're just getting a sweeter deal. They're the opposite of market makers, though. They are exactly the opposite of market makers. They're not <laughs> they're making the market. They're, 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 they're making markets for themselves. Yeah. And they're killing the rest of us. Yeah. That's yeah. That's very disingenuous, honestly, to, to make the claim. And, that, and them claim that quite frankly, you know, and I texted you guys this in our group text this weekend after this article came out and you're sitting there watching the, you know, 20 minute walk around loading process for the Florida Derby and the, you know, Gulfstream is notorious for this post drag stuff. Do you think it's impossible that, you know, elite two is just calling Gulfstream and saying, Hey, we need a few more minutes <laughs> because I certainly think that's possible. And I don't, I think it's more probable than just possible. Why else are they, you know, they admit we need the public's money. The drags are always the longest when it's the highest liquidity and these mandatory payout days or these huge racing days. They're just getting as much money in there as possible. There's more dumb money on Florida Der Derby Day than there is on Thursday afternoon in, you know, September. It, you know, you just start piecing all this stuff together and it stinks. As conspiracy theories go, it's an intriguing one. I'll give you that. Um, what else in that article stood out to you um, in terms of quotes you wanted to discuss or, or things that you learned? I, I had one uh, to go to if you if you don't have another prepped. Well, there was one from Scott DeRudy, who's the you know president of Elite Turf Club and an employee of the Strahonic Group, and you know he says quote, everybody realizes we've got to have equilibrium here. It's got to be good for everyone to make sure this succeeds in the long run. What the fuck is he talking about? Like, I they mean, might the realize that. 
The quote they is don't, well, yes, certainly it's correct, but they certainly don't actually believe that. You're not seeing a lot of evidence of the of, of said equilibrium when you examine the facts that we have in front of us. I don't see any equilibrium. And I don't see any sort of motion towards equilibrium or willingness to have equilibrium. It's hard to argue. It's hard to argue. I, I mean, that would have been an interesting one to have a follow-up question on, and, and maybe it was and, and didn't make uh, didn't make the article. Um, but yeah, I mean that that relationship is um, it's it's it, it certainly seems primed for you know not making any accusations here, but it certainly seems primed for a conflict of interest. Um, you know, it, it is elite is a third party, but when the third party is like so intertwined with with the entity taking the bets it does i mean it just and, and you're dealing with something as you pointed out quite correctly sean that's essentially unregulated it it's it's an environment that that like lends itself to conspiracy theory you know the conspiracy theory of that they're calling the tracks and saying give us a few more minutes sure that's one thing but like just look at the wagering stuff that's not a theory that's just fact retail bettors are paying way more in takeout than these guys are paying yeah, what struck you the most in those charts? We talked about this a little off air, but I think it's appropriate to put it here. Well, just the 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 just complete cannibalization of the average better and the you know the the percentage of money these these two accounts are betting. They you know they think they're betting fifteen percent of all the money that's bet basically. And on, on some of these days, you know. Pat's shown that it's far more than 15%. Yeah. Well, elite as a whole, certainly. But elite Pat as a whole, certainly. But Pat but, has, a, has evidence that even those two accounts is more than 15 on some days? I've heard some stuff that's just downright shocking at some of these tracks. We'll have Pat on to discuss, so we don't need to theorize about his work in this in this area. We'll get that, we'll get that taken care of at, uh, at, at some stage for sure. One of the other things that struck me was just about the just how detailed the information advantage they have is even in ways that would be completely fair if they were betting, you know, without all the advantages. Still a very intimidating opponent to have a college professor on rotation on on retainer for, for three years working on exactly how, you know, the distance of races uh, performs as a performs as a handicapping factor, knowing that that's. You know, whatever we we don't know exactly how many factors these models are using, but it's a whole heck of a lot. And if you could spend if you could spend uh, th- that kind of money researching one element of it, it's just it's intimidating. Even even if this was a proper head to head battle, it seems like these would be hard players to beat. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, and they're they're profiting hundreds of millions of dollars over the years, so they can afford to do stuff like that. But it's it's it 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 was scary in a number in a number of levels for sure, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, in terms of answers, you proposed one excellent theoretical solution of you give them rewards not for betting late but for betting early. But I just don't know. I think they'd at the least bluff and at the most be serious that they say, well, then you don't get our money. We'll go do something else. Um, I, well, I, that's a, I you know, but the, you know, but they're so for equilibrium, Pete. I mean, why would they? <laughs> why would they bluff? You know, there's if if they're so fucking smart, and I'm sure they are, they can figure out a way to get their money in the pools earlier and actually make a market. Right. You know, if they were, I don't know if I discussed this with you. I know we have personally. But I think I may have said this on the JK plus one episode. You know, they need to be incentivized to bet earlier. And and, the, and a way to do that would be to just tier their rebates starting. Hell, give them 20 percent if they're going to put money in the pool with 20 minutes to post and give them nothing if they're going to do it in the last second. But they'll be smart enough to figure out a way to get their money in and still get a good blended rebate by doing so and it would make such a healthier marketplace yeah i don't disagree at all i mean i I think it's great i just i wonder about 
an entity that's all I mean the what we learned in that article is you know given the corporate relationship between Elite and then our friends Stronic and these betters they're all kind of in business together right so it makes it hard to take a very hard line and I think for the health of the industry a hard line is what needs to be taken well, that's exactly right. I mean, you, t- you talked about a conflict of interest earlier. They they have no incentive to change anything other than the fact that, you know, they're, they're just cutting off their nose to spite their face. I mean, wh- who is going to be betting on this product 20 years from now? Jelko, Dr. Nick, and, you know, who? Who else? They, they might be on to the next thing you know, also. You know, you can't. You can't discount that possibility. Uh, no, you can't because look, and all this is going on at a time when sports wagering for the average person is becoming more and more prevalent and easier and easier to do. You know, I know just in my little group of friends who are small betters, retail betters, used to love going to the racetrack and gambling because that was really the easiest way to gamble. You know, they would bet some sports through bookies, but that's a pain in the ass. But I bet not one of those guys bets horses anymore. Well, we or know bets from... at, 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 you know, 1% of what they used to, if they do bet anything, but they've all got sports accounts They're They up until two days, two or three days ago, when Kentucky finally legalized sports betting, they were all texting our buddy that lived in Indiana who could get sports bets down. That's what they're doing. Now. So and we I know, think. you know, without naming names from Mike Maloney's associates um, of people who it's, it's, it's a similar tale of guys who wouldn't miss a day at Keeneland who now go once a meet, you know, and it's, that's exactly it, right. Wouldn't, wouldn't guys not only in, wouldn't in, miss a day at Keeneland, wouldn't miss a simulcastic day. Like those guys were there <laughs> every day. Some of them. And now I bet they don't even go. A couple of days of meat was what I did a little research. And that's what I was hearing for for a couple of the hardcores who were who were, you know, driving across the border to make to make sports bets uh, legally. So it's put put it this way. I looked my handle on U.S. racing from the beginning of this year to the end of March. Is one percent of what it was. 10 years ago from that same time period. Yeah. And this is not an isolated incident. I mean, everyone we talk, other people, we, again, I don't want to tell anybody's business, but I mean, people we've heard on these airwaves regularly. I mean, the, the, the handle, I mean, it's, it's, we have people who are down 90%. We have people who are down 50%. It's, it's, it, this is not an isolated incident. It's not a, Oh, the game is, is too hard thing. It's a, the game is, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of unfair in, in how it's in how it's set up for the, you know, this upper middle class of players that I think really are, you know, much more akin to the, the, the market makers who, who provide equilibrium. And then we're losing from the lower end of the pool to, to, to other sports. So it's, it's, it, it amazes me how I feel like it's not, it wouldn't be, it would be extremely hard in the real world to fix it. But I mean, I think ideas like what you just put forth about, trying to get that money into the pool earlier so that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing like that would make a huge difference. I just don't know that there's, there's a path to it happening in the real world. Doesn't seem like it. Was there anything else in that article in particular? We'll we'll pop it in the show notes so people can, can read for themselves. And again, I do want to, to let, uh, you know, here's some industry voices on this who aren't seeing it as the, the cataclysm that you and I are, uh, you know, that's just, just for, for the sake of having a, an interesting, uh, hopefully interesting and informative uh, discussion. We'll, we'll do, we'll definitely do more of that. We can return to the topic. You'll have a reaction surely when we get those guys on um, the show, which I think will be next week. I just, there, there's, we got a ton of content this week. Cause I'm going to do, I do want to do a special for Keeneland opening day. We've got the big drop this week, of course, is uh, another JK plus one. It's been a murderer's row on there with you and, uh, and um, Mike Rapoli and now Angel Cordero. You're in some pretty good company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm way outclassed. <laughs> I'm the rich strike of JK plus one. <laughs> That's pretty funny. 
let's talk about these prep races from the past weekend because I know you did. Uh, I know you did a little bit of work on them. Um, yeah. First of all, let's talk about what the Florida Derby looked like through your lens. For me, this was a race where, you know, watching it, I had some sympathy for the narrative about it being a, you know, showing the horse Forte could handle adversity. He appeared to finish well. Um, Going back and looking at it more objectively, I I took a more negative view, a more positive view of Mage. He looked like the horse that made the big move into the fastest part of the race and also just forte you know acting up the gate and then not breaking great and having to be scrubbed on so early and asked for so early i it just i i made me concerned about him going forward yeah um you know i don't i don't think either one of them got a very good situation Norman is going nuts, by the way. Norman is going nuts, and I apologize. (laughs) He's he's an idiot. (laughs) I I, I don't necessarily think that that Mage ran the better race of the two. Um, Because once, you know, once I did the figures, and then, oh, by the way, redid the figures because the race was not timed properly, which welcome to Coldstream Park. Um, uh, you know, Forte ran faster at every point of call than Mage did. Now, Mage did make that big middle move. I don't think he made it into the fastest part of the race. I think he started his move after the fastest part of the race, which Interesting. To me I isn't, that information isn't from as time. helpful. Yeah, I took that but, info from time form. That's what I was using as my source for that. Um so I think between the two, I think Forte ran the better race, but I'm sort of like you. I was left a little cold um, on both of them, as, as you know, especially at a short price on Forte in the Derby. Um, I just wasn't super impressed, and my my figure didn't come back like really fast enough to make me. What did you What did you forget. get for the race? What did you? A buyer came back. 95 i think that the the time form was similar um yeah, i'm right there i'm at a 94 and then what about what about the late pace specifically did forte notably outfinish mage no um they finished about the same just because just where i take that measurement um he you know if i if, if we had the sort of smaller incremental sectional timing like they do in Hong Kong for the last, you know, 16th of the race versus the last eighth. He probably did. Well, he clearly did outfinish him, but just on my figures, they're going to both come back with the same sort of 98 late pace figure. Which isn't bad really for this group, you know, at this stage. No, No, it's not bad. Um, But what, you know, what, just looking at their full sort of pace lines, Forte ran three lengths faster at the first call, one length faster at the second call, a length faster at the third call, faster at the final, and finished the same. So, you know, Forte ran the better race to me. Mage just didn't time his run well enough to win the race, but Forte ran the better race. What did you think from a trip handicapping point of view? Um, I thought visually it looked like an early move with, with Mage. I mean, I don't blame them for it exactly. I think they were trying to put the race to bed. Right. But it, I, I did think it was notable. It, it left me with hope. He moved so early. It's not, I wasn't seeing it as, oh my God, he just blew by Forte like he was standing still. I saw it like he moved kind of early and Forte, while he doesn't look great here, might still be able on his class to, to um, run him down. Basically the scenario that happened. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a little premature, but that may be. You know, I don't think I don't think Saez necessarily made a mistake because there were so many horses on the inside, sort of dying in yep. front of him that he yep. had to go he super really wide. Yep. Yeah, he just sort of had no choice. Um, 
but I think, you know, I think mage is a, is a really nice animal and, and is certainly still improving. So, but just taking this one race, look, I, I think Forte ran slightly better. It's interesting. Just looking at the raw last eighth, 1256 for Forte as opposed to 1319 for Mage. That's interesting. That's interesting that that comes back the same LP. Well, I do a quarter. So, right. So that would be 3796 to 3796. Exactly the same. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be, it would be identical. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, do you think we saw the Derby winner in that race? Possibly. Um, it's not. I'm not super interested in betting either one of those two. Um, but I, you know, I'm not going to be shocked if, if either one of them won the Derby because I, you know, I'm still a bit behind in my preparation for the Derby, but I haven't seen anything that I'm in love with yet. So. You know, if the champion two-year-old who's run perfectly fine all all three-year-old season wins the Derby, I'm not going to be surprised at all. But I, you know, I sort of like the horse coming out of the Arkansas race better. We'll talk. We'll talk about Angel of Empire momentarily. Just Nick and I were both surprised at the big spread in odds between Forte and Mage, with Forte clocking in five to two top of the market and Mage being as far out as twenties right now. That was easy head-to-head take mage. Yeah, I think that's yeah at those prices certainly. Yeah, on the day maybe a lot more compressed than that. Um, You have not. I'm going to help you get some data to do some work for Dubai. Do you have any thoughts about Sotagake yet? I think it was. I think it was probably a fast race. Um, I'd like to see the you know the sectionals and, and stuff. I think, you know, I think that the, I think he's probably going to be overbet. Honestly, just the the Japanese narrative has picked up so much steam, you know, deservedly so. Um, but I, I, I again wouldn't be shocked if he came over here and won the way those horses have been performing. Also, wouldn't be shocked if he was second or third choice and you couldn't bet him at all. So, um, yeah, I just don't really, until the odds board opens up, I just really don't know what to do with him. If he's a big price, I'd use him. If he's a short price, I'd probably throw him out. So the market has already cratered on him. There was some 20 to one available yesterday, which an associate uh, managed to wrangle. And now the best price is 16. So I think, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining at 22 or, or 20, you, you, you would, you'd have no problem with that price. No, depending on, on the figure of that race. Um, you know, if he's running high 90s or triple-digit figures, and he's that kind of price, then you know he's probably a key. Right. But I don't think he'll be that price on the day. I mean, I don't Travis, Stone, I think Travis Stone was saying to Nick that he thinks there's a world in which this horse goes off as the second choice if the hype train does its thing and if like uh, crown pride last year he looks the part in the morning so uh, yeah, i'm all I right that's, i think that's accurate put that money in the bank and 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 see the other and the other point that nick made that with pro Sotagake is we don't have a lot of speed in this crop it's true so we should, so that we running get a good trip yeah the, the running style could could be interesting let's move to oakland though where uh, you've already mentioned and and how could you not be? Uh, you were impressed by Angel of Empire, who made that into a into a one horse race. What kind of figure did you come up with there? I, I gave him a ninety eight with a real good hundred and three LP. Wow! Um, and he did it. You know, did it running low to mid eighties throughout the middle of the race. So he that to me that was a that was a real real race. Uh, very good. Looks like he's improving. I think he's tactical enough to get a, a pretty good trip in the Derby. Depending on post, obviously, if he draws the one, maybe not. But um, he's he's just slowly getting better and better, it looks like to me. Yeah, that one, the buyer came back 94, and I think time form was more in line with you, a few points higher. So that's an, that, that's an interesting little figure discrepancy that might 
help his price on the day in the market. Yeah. Yeah. How much do you rate um, like the visual impression coming out of these final derby preps? Cause he certainly made a good one as well. You know, I can, I, I, I consider it. Um, but like we've talked about multiple times, it's, it's far less of a consideration than the, than the figure. So I like to see, you know, I like to see my figures and my visual impression sort of gel. Um, you know, I don't, I don't love when a horse looks visually impressive, but runs slow or, or runs fast, but looks terrible. Um, so, you know, I like it all to sort of line up, but I, you know, I'm not going to bet a horse just off of visual impression. Cause I know no, that's a loser's game. It probably helps you though, that if I were you seeing my figure a little bit higher than the buyer and seeing that visual impression would, would be the kind of thing that would just give me that much more confidence that, that my number was closer than the, than the commercial one. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. Did you do, did you watch much other racing or were you just focused on the derby preps? Uh, I watched the, uh, I watched the, uh, I watched the Oaks prep at Gulfstream. Jake's race. Yeah. That's, and that's the only reason I watched it. <laughs> it did not, that, no, did, you, did not. Did you do a figure on that? That was an 81 buyer for the winner. Yeah. And mine was right there. What race? Of the day? 12. Like race 12, I think. That was the 12th. Yeah. Um, should on one thing. yeah. Mine was like an 81 or an 83, something like that. I still thought, you know, from it a perspective, fast. from a black type perspective, though, like to be able to have the private purchase and and have that kind of trip and knowing, you know, I think there's having a limited number of starts and barely being with the trainer. There's reasons to be optimistic about uh, about the horse getting um, better and better. You know, they, they they've got oh, to feel real good about themselves. Absolutely. I mean, she's you know, she's she's clearly improving. I gave the race an 83. Um basically, you know, same sort of figures throughout. So they didn't, they didn't run particularly fast at any sort of segment of that race, but, you know, she had a horrendous trip and is clearly getting better. And, you know, for Jake and Maddie to get another private, private purchase, possibly into the Oaks off the, you know, limited numbers of runners they've had is just unbelievably good. Like they're, couldn't couldn't possibly be prouder of what they're doing. They're they're just hitting home run after home run. Sacred wish, the horse. I don't think I've actually said her name to this point. And yeah, I mean, improving and and making a little noise in the Oaks wouldn't shock me. Though from a speed figure perspective, the Arkansas race certainly looks like uh, the one that's more likely to be the key bit of form for the Oaks. Did you did you pay any attention? I well, I did the figure. I didn't I didn't watch the race though. What did you, well, let me check the buyer and then I'll ask you what you came up with. Um, or actually we'll go in the other direction because I need to find the race. What, uh, what, what figure did you get for it for wet paint? Wet paint, 93. Yeah. 89 for the buyer, you know, which is already about as fast as these horses have run. Um, eight to one available. This market just is like, this market has no idea what it wants to do for the Kentucky Oaks in the, in the futures right now. It's like, I've never seen a, I think it's basically a five-way tie for favoritism at eight to one. It's, wow. it's pretty silly, um, but yeah, we'll we'll get some more clues next weekend with uh, with Faiza, and we'll see. Oh no, Faiza's not running in the race because they never switched from Baffert. So scratch that. It's uh, but yeah, the big the big the big horses at the top of the market right now. There, Wet Paint, Wonder Wheel, South Lawn, Punch Bowl, Botanical. Julia shining all in or around eight to one. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to, to unpack. Yeah, that should be interesting. Could, could be some good bets in there. Yeah. It's, it's, it has the potential to be a very, a very, a, a big betting race. So will you, will it be similar for you this weekend out of interest following the three big derby preps and some of the other, uh, some of the other stuff or, or are you going to even be doing less USA stuff going forward? than the already very limited bit you were doing based on what, all the stuff we were talking about earlier in the show. Well, I'm not going to do any gambling, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, the, the end of this week is I've sort of blocked out time to get all these figures caught up and, and start 
start actually preparing for Derby weekend. So I'm going to watch a bunch of replays of these preps and, and watch whatever's running this weekend. Um, just I, I just won't be doing any gambling. What are, what are the chances of you being out at Keeneland this meet? You, will we will we see you there? I'm there from the from the 12th to the 17th. If you fancy a day uh, of betting in the green room, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure I'll be out some. We, I think we get back from Duke on the 16th, so maybe we could do something together. I'm sure you I'll be to- out there at some point. Do you have Easter slash spring break travel? Uh, no, we're, we're just staying here in town. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it is. Hopefully, uh, yesterday the girls went with Kiana's mom to the zoo. So nice. Gave, gave us a little time to do some stuff around the house that needed doing. It was pleasant. I'm in that mode as well. It's serious spring cleaning as I sort of last minute am, am hosting Easter. So I've got to... Ooh. I've got to get this place not looking like a uh, combination of a child's uh, uh, playroom and a and a you know pro punter slash amateur uh, whiskey collector's playroom. So it's it's, uh, it's that's what that's what we were doing yesterday was going through the toy the immense toy selection that has accumulated over the last nine years and trying to get rid of some of it. We have I do the old I move I, I do it in stages. First I move them into like deep storage. And then if not a word is said about the toy in a certain time frame, then it goes. Yeah. That's a good strategy. I like that. I think that's probably the direction we're heading. We were just trying to organize, you know, get everything grouped together. And then if we, you know, hopefully we can donate it to, to some kids that need toys. And, and yes, have there's good options for that in Brooklyn, as I'm sure there are in Lexington. So yeah, you go, you go from one to the other, the, the other thing that's been significant for me, and I don't know if you've watched any baseball this year, but dude, this pitch clock is the greatest thing that ever happened. I, I think at this point, five days in the season, I have watched more baseball live than I watched last year. I just have been going nuts to be able to watch a two hour and 15 minute baseball game. And not to mention the fact that without the without pandemic or work stoppage stuff, hanging over the beginning of the season, I had an opportunity to like actually handicap and prepare. I've only made a couple of bets. I'm more just, you know, rooting in my one fantasy team and just enjoying watching it. But I am planning on getting involved. We did a little baseball special and uh, John Legaza, who we had on, made a really compelling case about the equity you can find in these first five inning markets. And geez, with the pace of play stuff in a first five inning market, your bet plays out in an hour and 15 minutes. It's just amazingly entertaining. Have you, have you seen any baseball yet? I have. I'm the same way. It's, it's very refreshing. It's nice to you know, sit there and watch you know, a game and not pitchers adjusting their belt and <laughs> using the rosin bag. And that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really great. I think it's, I think the game time's down on average 30 minutes and, Stolen bases are clearly up. Hitting is up. I mean, it's just, it's 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 a much better product right now. The Reds are in first place. Yeah, that's probably the go. only time I'll say that in the next five years. So I'm not going to say it. You've got some entertaining players on that team, man. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I I find a lot of the Reds fun to watch. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think uh, I think you know their ownership is so bad that that I have almost no hope that anything really good could come out of it, but they seem to have young talent that maybe they could contend in a few years. Yeah. And just some, it's some interesting little bats and those, those big pitchers. I mean, it's going to be hard for those pitchers pitching in that ballpark as it's just become a little bit too much of an offensive haven, I think for, for healthy pitcher development, but we'll see, we'll see how they do. I'm uh, yeah, I've been, you know, the Mets obviously had a downer of a day yesterday, losing 10 to nothing. But, I, you know, I, I think they'll be entertaining all year, too. But it is interesting from a, you know, that, that that first five inning thing I like from betting point of view for for a variety of reasons. The action element of it is great. But I also do think that, um, you know, especially when you can get half a run with the dog and only need a tie and take advantage of some of those crazy lines that happen on the favored pitcher, it's it. it it's an interesting little strategy, um, and I'm 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 definitely happy uh, trying to mess around with that a bit. Is it? I can't remember. What's your baseball? You used to bet baseball, right? 
Very little, but yes, I did. I did. But not not anything serious. And it was probably 25 years ago at this point. The other interesting angle for me is just the in-game stuff. When you get really in tune with a team and you're trading, so you're not necessarily, you know. Well, the great thing about in-game is it takes away that horrible sweat element of betting sports. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. just be looking for a team to grab an early lead, and then you can basically just take your profit out and, and th- bet things. Or, or, you know, just the, the, you, you love the way the bullpen is shaping up for the sixth and seventh innings, so you bet. You bet that they're not going to let up the team that's winning isn't going to let up a run for two winnings. You can you can sort of create your own menu, and I just think, especially with the trading element, it becomes you know you you, you can eke back a lot of the edge and a lot of the things that are that are very they're very hard to beat in sports. Like you know the game game lines are much tougher to me to beat than five innings or than uh, than than just messing around in game. So no, 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 is elite seventeen in those five inning pools? You think? <laughs> There is no Elite 17. I think Who's it's offering generally, that spread to you, Pete? It's, it's basically fans of the other team who I think you're betting against, too. That's, that, that, that's, something, else. that's something else that I like about it. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, there are computers betting. There are computers betting in-game and stuff. But, Absolutely. I, I, but it's not, you know, they're, they're, it, the advantages aren't, I feel like, for the kind of things I'm describing, when you're talking about trading and you're talking about coming up with these like short term windows, I do feel like you can get you can get the better of them. You know, it's not I'm they're not using me. The market is the market, right? They're not using my information to to make a market for them. You know, it's 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 just it's a level playing field. So that makes it a lot more appealing even though they have tremendous, you still have tremendous tech and, uh, and information edges. I'm, I'm not kidding myself about that, but there's still, there, there's ways, there's ways with the right sports markets that you can coexist with those guys just to, to bring it, to bring it all back uh, full circle. It sounds interesting. Maybe that's, are, maybe that's where we're all end up. Are you tempted at all with the Kentucky news about doing more in sports? Not really, um, just because. Quite frankly, I think I think they'll screw it up. I think they'll eventually take out a rise on sports bets. I mean, it, it already sort of is, and I think you know the 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 idea of having to have multiple accounts and you know getting cut off and it, that's just too big a pain in the ass for me. I, I just right. don't. I just don't have any interest in doing it that much. That, that I mean, I might, I might have an account and, and just, you know, bet for fun or bet, you know, silly little, silly little things that, that I see throughout the year just for action, but um, nothing. I don't anticipate that becoming any serious part of my business plan. I felt like there was one other thing we were meant to uh, talk about here. We had one other thing on our list. Oh, I was going to tell you, I was going to ask you if I screwed up a bet or not. So, so the coast to coast, which started with Jake's race as well, as we we're now calling the Gulfstream park Oaks. Um, I went four deep in that race in a race where, you know, nobody had run the speed figure par and the rest of the way I missed that. I didn't have, I did not have the winner. Um, and then the rest of the way, I, I think I had a dead signal, a dead single, a race where I only had two A's were in A1, and then two other like pressed A's win. Am I supposed to have that pick five a bunch of times? Or am I supposed to just say, I didn't like the horse. I went four deep. You can't bet them all. Um. What were the odds of the horses in the? Let's take a look. Okay, so the the the, horse, the horses that I liked that won. I mean, Steady On was less than two to one. You know, Forte was thirty cents on the dollar, right? So I mean, super shorties. And then let me look at what the Santa Anita ones were. 
This is terrible. I should be able to. Years ago, I would have been able to remember this without having to look it up. But these <laughs> days, we need to um, we, we we need to have a we need to have a look at the at the charts. I think they were more along the lines of mid prices. Um, but let me let me check and make sure they weren't too too favorite. But why? I, I know the answer to this, but for for those listening, why is that such an important question? Well, I mean, if you're if if one of those horses was ten to one and you had it as a stone single, then I would say you probably should have had more coverage in the in the leg. I mean, because it sounds like to me like the the oaks, the first leg was your least strong opinion and almost you know you went four deep out of eight almost no opinion um right so right. you know if, if if you if you loved a 10 to one shot that that won then i would say yeah you probably should have hit the pick five for something they were short though it was two to one it wasn't mid prices at all two to one and six to five the other well, two then ones. i would say no you shouldn't have you shouldn't have hit it and maybe you shouldn't have gone four deep in that race Right. Um, I mean, the one who was the interesting one was Sacred Wish at nine to one. Right. You know? what, did, what did it pay? Because the winner of the Oaks was eight and a half to one. So, like, it should have paid pretty Probably similar. paid okay. Yeah. And it was the kind of thing where I wouldn't, it's not like I was, you know, I was going to have it 25 times, you know. It's, it's. Um, I, I don't know where to, embarrassingly, I don't know where to find that info. Let me see if they emailed it to me. You know, sometimes with the special bets, they don't appear in the bottom of the chart. Yeah, no, no, it's it's very tough. Even day of, sometimes it's hard to figure out what it's going to play. Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't, and I did not get the, I did not get the email. That's bad. Let me see if uh, Tom Quigley tweeted it. He's usually pretty good with that type of stuff. Frank Scatoni had a day on the Santa Anita uh, simulcast feed. I think it was Sunday. He gave out like seven of nine winners. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> I haven't had a day like that in years. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm hoping to pull him in to do some more stuff soon. Just you know, his schedule's been so busy, but he's always good, always good on the airwaves. He's got um, golden hour stuff. Here it is. No, that's golden hour. I apologize. I'm not going to be able to pull this. Um, so, but anyway, I, I mean, I think your point is right in that. When those other horses are short, you 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 know you gotta you gotta try to hit it a lot, and the, and if you're going to try to hit it a lot, you can't you know over overspread like that. So maybe right. it wasn't a mistake so much as just having a bad opinion. I guess I just felt like I felt like I'd gotten myself beat in a spread race, which I don't which I don't like, and I also don't like the fact that you know I used the first, second, third, and fifth choices, you know. It's yeah. tough. It's yeah. it it is a bet that I truly believe is player friendly enough that I will be looser in that bet than I'll be in just about any other bet. Yeah, it just it's it almost seems to me like, and this is obviously no offense, but it almost seems to me like the mistake in this exact sequence was even playing it, right? Just based on your opinions, um, you know. You maybe. feel like you need you need to playing it without. Without a known separator, essentially. Exactly. It doesn't seem like you had any separation at all, even if you were to hit it. Um, no, I was just hoping to hit it a whole bunch of times. That was yeah. that was how I was. I was trying to use. I was trying to use what I thought was clever betting to to make up for you know. So I did like I did a caveman spread and then just went back and kept playing extra tickets with the press horses and yeah. then I would have had it a bunch of times because. Um, you know, essentially three of them won, but you know, looking back and seeing how short they were, it is easier to let it go. It'd feel yeah. worse if there was a ten to one a that got in there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think just the the lack of a real separator. I mean, because your separator almost seems like the way it was structured had to come from that Oaks race. But if you're you're four deep, um, I mean, two of those horses were. 30 to one and 48 to one in an eight horse yep. field. So there's really only six real things that can happen. And they were all under nine to one. So there really wasn't, you know, a separator there either. Yep. Um, now, if you love sacred wish or the, you know, or affirmative lady at, at eight, eight or nine to one and just singled them, then I think that's 
that's a playable sequence, but this just seems like a probably a pass in my opinion. Yeah, I, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I totally get it. I, I get excited for this bet, obviously. For And, you know, it's this other thing, too, that I've talked about on these airwaves before, where my goal now is not – I don't – I mean, yeah, it's awesome to make a play that I know is an expected value play. But there's also a lot of times I'm playing because playing makes me a much better podcast host, you know. Right. And, and these guys are partners, and, you know, I want to support them because I think they're doing something cool. So I don't have like deep regrets at all when you say that. I mean, you're you're talking about it from a pro point of view, and you're a thousand percent right. Um, so that's that, that's, uh, but it isn't. I was thinking I might have to second guess that more than I probably do, which actually makes me feel a little bit better. Um, yeah, we we got we got to figure out. We got Santa Anita this weekend, and then they take their little break. I'm not sure if we're going to keep going with the coast to coast shows after that, or we're going to pivot to covering more like Santanita Saturday stuff now that the, you know, the sort of main meets for both Gulfstream and Santanita are coming to a close, but there's going to be no shortage of stuff. Obviously Naira, the return of turf racing on Friday. I mean, it's, it's all these harbingers of spring that are happening and, you know, opening day of Keeneland. Um, that's always just, you know, like opening day of baseball. It just puts me in a good, it puts me in a good frame of mind, even if I'm, working and not betting seriously just to have that on in the background i've got a horse in it at aqueduct uh gem mint 10 is back trying the turf for the first time i may try to get out there and do some keeneland simulcasting but i may also end up watching it from the bunker and and uh, focusing on family things we'll see we'll see how it goes i look forward hopefully sean to getting a chance to hang with you at keeneland a week after next anything else you want to uh Throw out there, get off your chest, discuss before we uh, bring this edition of the show to a close. Yeah, going back to the to the article, I think you know everybody should should find the article and read it. You know, as horse players, you just need to know what's going on, what you're up against. The charts that are in there are really informative and, and interesting. But I will say, you know, it, it's explained in the article that those charts come directly from, you know, California Horse Racing Board information that they have, for at least the last 15 years, made public the, you know, wagering from different outlets. And in true horse racing fashion, in true, you know, transparency and equilibrium and all the nice buzzwords these guys like to use, the, the racing board has now decided decided they're not going to do that anymore because some 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 individual accounts cried that it was unfair oh so you know in the in the sense of fairness we're, we're going to just continue to bury all this stuff and <laughs> you know, give these guys every advantage they could possibly have not not oversight them no certainly don't criticize them um, and, <laughs> and that's you know that's great it's really comforting oh my god so congratulations california you're doing awesome. <laughs> Where this conversation is to be continued. I'm very excited to have Gary on. I just, I look. I mean, I have deep sympathy for everything you're saying, but I also don't want to. Uh, I don't want to lump on too much without getting to at least hear from the the folks on the other on the other side of this thing. But that is disturbing. I mean. That is so horse racing. When when the when the answer is oh people don't you know you know what that reminds me of Sean is when the, the all the conversation about late odds drops first started coming up and uh, one of the tracks solution was simply to just not show the odds anymore. Exactly. Yeah, we just won't show. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> we'll show the odds after the race. That's good. It's that it's it's the. Um, there is uh, some in this game who have the ostrich, you know, for all that we complain and all that we want it to be better. There's a lot of people in positions of power who like it the way it is. And, you know, I mean, I get it, I guess, but you got to think about the big picture. You got to think about five years, 10 years, 15 years. I mean, I hope these people aren't thinking, well, I'll be retired then. It'll be somebody else's problem. I hope that's not the logic. I mean, if you love the game, you want to see it safeguarded for the future and, uh, not showing the information that doesn't reflect well on you is not a way to do that. I'd say it's a way to do the opposite. So anyway, more to come on that topic. I appreciate your, I, I didn't realize how strong your opinions were on this topic, but they make complete sense and really appreciate you sharing them 
for the players, Sean. And if, if there's a way to get you involved in some of these discussions, I know you're game for it, right? I mean, you're not just here talking. You, you, you'd you express these opinions to people in positions of power if we thought it might make some good happen, yes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good. Appreciate that very much. All right. With that, we're going to wrap this edition of the show. And I think we'll do it again next week, just talking derby. Even if you're, even if you don't make a bet, we'll just we'll we'll, we'll pull you in to talk about your take on these derby preps and, and maybe start looking at the future market and see if there's anything we want to do. If you're up for that, I'm down. Let's do it. All right, good stuff. With that, we will close this edition of the Pro Player Diary. We'll thank Sean once again. I want to thank everybody out there. We've gotten so many great, so much great feedback, so many great questions about these shows. Keep them coming. If you've got Triple Crown specific questions for Sean, hit us up. Maybe we can prepare some some answers and we'll you know we'll, we'll take a little bit of a detour uh for the next week or two until sean gets back uh, firing where we do a little bit more general horse racing slash evergreen stuff if you've got evergreen questions hit us up with those two best way to do it is probably through the contact page over at in the money podcast.com this show's been a production of in the money media our business managers drew Cotney, our chief creative officers jonathan kitchen make sure to check out that angel Cordero, JK plus one. And watch it on YouTube with the video. It's I was in the room. It was amazing. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>